I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What is good, Celtics fans? It was a tough game yesterday on Tuesday against the Sacramento Kings. I didn't think I'd ever be saying the, that sentence. A tough game against the Sacramento Kings. Go figure. It shocked me as much as I'm sure it shocked the rest of you. Um, happy Wednesday. Sorry the podcast a bit late. I wanted to watch the film and get through everything and just make sure that what we were talking about was factual. Of course, I am joined by a co-host I didn't want to do today solo, so I bought some a good friend of mine, friend of the podcast. If you're a regular listener, you definitely would have had episodes with this guy on before and definitely will again in the future. Mr. Cody Shalafu. What's going on, Cody? Adam, always a pleasure working with the great Adam Taylor. I don't know if I'd say great. Oh, I Adam would. Taylor. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate <laughs> that. How you doing, man? You doing good? Doing well, doing well. How, how are you across the pond? I was okay until I woke up and saw the score. Yeah, which was no. a score I did not expect to see. Yeah, game was wild. Game was game was wild. You know what? I think that you need to credit the Kings because a lot of the Celtics' issues came because of the way the Kings played defense. Oh, 100. I mean, I watched. I, I, you know, lucky enough to watch the game from beginning to end because it wasn't like 3 a.m. my time, like it would have been for you probably. But um, no, it was it was it was a, it was a game. I hadn't watched much summer league. I think I watched the first game. I got bits and pieces of other games, you know, just due to work and everything else. But um, I was excited for that game, and the Celtics jumped out. So I think like a 10, 12 point lead. Like the first quarter was really all Celtics, and then towards the end, the Kings kind of picked up defensively, uh, especially Davion Mitchell against Pritchard. I think that was a story. Pritchard, you know, went to the pro ams in Portland and dropped a hundred points on people and. Everyone was expecting him to go for 35, and the Kings' defensive game plan really shut down the Celtics, and the Celtics, obviously it's summer league. It was a championship game, but it was still summer league. They were still trying different things. They weren't playing Romeo, and um, it, it was a fun game. I thought you, you got some good things, but the Kings really pulled it out, and credit to them. They were a really good team this entire summer league, and they proved it. Yeah, I mean, 92 points in a pro AM game, is that's fantastic, but at the same time, it's not exactly the sternest of competition, right? Right. Like yeah. that, I mean, look, man, I'm jumping on the hype train as much as the next person. I'm not going to be here and start being the party pooper. But then like, you see what, he, what Pritchard's done throughout of Summer League and how consistent he's been. I personally felt like he was going to be the difference maker, or at least his presence would open things up for guys like Smith, guys like Edwards, to just do what they'd been doing all season. Davion Mitchell was ferocious on defense. I will give him credit. I feel like he really fought through screens. He fought. He knew when to go under, knew when to go over, shut the gap quite well. He was uh, very good defensively. But what I would say is that the Celtics, as a as a unit, just they allowed Sacramento to to set the tone, set the pace of the game, and that completely threw the Celtics off their rhythm. Um, Aaron Neesmith had, I think, it was six turnovers. He's he, a bit of butterfingers. We've seen butterfingers from him throughout this um, summer league. Just from time to time, you know, he'll miss dribble or misplace a catch. It just seems to be one of those things he needs to work on a little bit more. But for me, it was definitely the way that Sacramento managed to get Boston playing on their time frame, playing on their type of basketball, their possession speed. It really, you'd see Neesmith stepping into freeze and he just didn't look like he was comfortable after the first two makes. Pritchard was. Most of his shots, they weren't set. His feet weren't set. His shooting rhythm was just completely off. 
And uh, I think that was credit to the way the Kings played. And it, for me, it was the first time the Summer League roster had faced a defensively sound opponent, and it, it really showed. Yeah, or, or it's the joke that everyone's playing Summer League, but the Kings are playing their actual roster <laughs> in Summer League because that's now not good they are. Um, but no, David Mitchell is one of those rookies where, like, I think his ceiling isn't exactly, like, where a lot of those, like, top 10 picks are going to be, but his floor, I think, can be really decent. Like, I don't think there's, like, too much more that he's going to add, but so what you see is what you're going to get for the first year at least, and I think that's still a solid player, especially on the defensive end, and he, I was watching the broadcast, and Mark Jones, shout out Mark Jones, one of the most underrated um, broadcasters in the game, um, David Mitchell was speeding up Pritchard, and you could see that. A lot of the times, the pick and rolls, you saw Pritchard firing, like, chest-high passes to Bruno Fernando or um, what well, Zach August was the guy, and it was just behind him, like, at his chest from, like, two feet away. That was just, like, too fast, just trying to get away from Mitchell. And you could see how that disrupted really everything. And like you said, they set the tone. Early, like I said, the, the Celtics had like a fourteen to two lead, fourteen to you know twelve to two lead to begin the game, and they really came out looking really good. But then Sacramento punched back, and the Celtics kind of just gave up from there. Um, so credit Sacramento for not getting discouraged down early. And like you said, I think just the defensive mindset of Mitchell, which bled into the other Kings, it really sped everybody up. And I think that's a really good way to put it because there were a lot of turnovers that probably shouldn't have happened. A lot of quick decisions that cost them possessions and Sacramento capitalized on that really, really well. So I looked at the actual um, turnovers for the entire summer league earlier today. I was really curious how Boston had done. And they'd got 11 turnovers against Atlanta, 12 against Denver, and then 13 against Orlando and Philadelphia. So against the Kings, they turned the ball over more than twice the amount they'd done against any other team during the summer league. Now, that can't all be down to the Celtics feeling a little bit of pressure. You know, some of these guys probably feeling pressure like, hey, if we win summer league, maybe we're going to have some other teams interested in us looking at guys like August. Um, It was definitely to do with the way the Kings played that game too. I think I just put out a tweet about 15, 20 minutes before we started recording this looking at Bruno Fernando. And one of the things I'd noticed was the Celtics were going into a Chicago set and Jahumus Ramsey was top-locking Pritchard, so he wasn't allowing Pritchard to use the pin down to get into a shooting or driving position. So the Kings came in well-versed and they, they knew the Celtics' playbook in and out. So the question is, why weren't the Celtics able to pivot? Why couldn't they dig deeper and find a new gear? We're talking about Smith is a second-year guy, Pritchard is a second-year guy, Edwards is a third-year guy. Why weren't they able to lean on that experience of playing in the NBA and figure some stuff out. And I think that's going to be a question that needs to be examined at some point because I understand, like, Neesmith, I understand you you were fumbling the ball, you you were a rhythm scorer, Pritchard, very similar. And another thing I want to say is we saw NBA-type Carson Edwards in this game. As you said, it feels like the Kings are playing their actual roster in this two-summer league. And it could be with the talent disparity on the Kings, but... Carson Edwards went up against what was arguably an actual NBA defense, and we saw his true ability to score shine through at that point, and that was quite poor. Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. Like, a lot of obviously, you have to take the Summer League with a grain of salt in the wins and the losses. Um, the one thing about the Summer League that I liked is that the players who were, you know, actually going to be playing for the Celtics looked good, and that's what you want to see. You don't want to see, like, 
even though Carson Edwards, I'm done with him, and I think a lot of people in Celtics Nation can agree that he's kind of just overstayed his welcome in Boston, especially after this year once his contract runs out. Um, he still looked good against, in obviously, inferior competition. And Pritchard looked fantastic. Romeo looked good. Uh, his numbers don't look fantastic, but really he's played well. Um, Nate, uh, Neesmith has looked really, really good, and those are players that are supposed to look really good. You know, you get to a team like the Kings, who are probably the best team you faced all summer league in terms of just talent. Um, you get punched in the mouth, you didn't respond. And, you know, obviously we have to look at um, – it was the first real adversity the team had faced because I think most of their I think most of their wins were by a healthy margin. Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head them being like a super close summer league game where everyone was playing. Um, so it wasn't you know it was kind of the first time they got you know hit in the mouth and like like you said, um, you know the two primary guys are rhythm scorers and they were just off their rhythm and that was just on the team to really step it up. Uh, it just didn't happen. I think that's just all we can sit here and overanalyze, you know, why this didn't go well, this didn't go well. You know, you saw some desperation threes in the third quarter after they were down by like 10 going into half or so. And it, they just never materialized anything, whether it was that they just couldn't hit their shots. But Sacramento kept the pressure on the entire time. Like they wanted that championship and it seemed like the Celtics just were content with the summer league they put up. And I think that's just all you can really say about it. Yeah, I mean, the closest they had to this level of competition was probably game one against Atlanta. Yeah. You know, I thought Skylar May has done a good job in that game. Um, There's somebody else that impressed me whose name eludes me right now. But I agree. I feel like this was the sternest test. And sometimes, you know, a team just has your number and they just understand how to get you out of your out of your rhythm and out of your comfort zone. And when, like, I think Romeo Langford might have made a bit of a difference at some points. I think Bergarin looked quite good. But overall, I'm happy. Summer League was a success in my eyes, regardless of this outcome. Like, for me, it's, I feel like Neesmith could potentially be the guy to step in as the starting two guard alongside Marcus Smart if you wanted to have a Dennis Schroeder as your sixth man and then run Pritchard as your, um, your bench two guard and then have Richardson as your three. I feel like the, the, the development we've seen from Pritchard, from Neesmith and the flashes we've seen from Romeo, Summer League has been a resounding success. I think we could sit here and moan about how the Celtics didn't, well, the Celtics Summer League team didn't respond. But at the same time, a lot of these guys are guys that aren't going to be in the league next season or they're, bare, they're going to be struggling for respectable minutes on a G League team next season. So the ones that you wanted to perform, performed throughout the entire competition, not just this one game. Yeah. And, and for me, I, I'm completely fine with that. I think Pritchard has more than shown that he's improved this summer. Neesmith has definitely improved this summer. Romeo, um, I remember him saying to the media, I think it was after the first game, that this is basically like his rookie, his first rookie offseason yeah. because he hasn't had the chance to develop over the last two years due to injuries and rehab. So how much can we be asking from him in terms of improvement? All we want is to actually see what type of player he is. I think that within itself is going to be a big step forwards in the right direction for Romeo. At the moment, none of us know what he is. He's just, he's a theory. We have a theory about what Romeo is, but we do not have anything substantial. So I feel like we've took good steps forwards as a, as a team and, and being able to see that is encouraging anyway. No, exactly, and I, I think you mentioned the turnovers, and I was looking at some of the stats, and the Celtics were up there in turnovers 
But I think that's due to the ball movement is fantastic all year, um, all year. On these last five games, it was incredible. They led the league in assists for the past five games, and it was by a, a decent margin, by like two assists over the number two team. Like the ball movement, which is something that has been kind of a concern the last two, three years, um, that sometimes the ball can stick and there have been stretches where we lose games because the ball doesn't move. That was not an issue. And obviously, again, this isn't the actual Celtics roster. You only have about three or four actual rotation guys, if that, playing this year. Um, but the ball movement was very, very solid and very good. And it was a nice addition, especially if that's what Ime was preaching. And, you know, those are the teams that are well. The, excuse me. The teams that do well are the teams that move the ball. And the Celtics were moving the ball for the last week and a half, two weeks. And that's something that contributed to how good they were playing. They were a, the extra pass. You had Anismith wide open for three, about, you know, half to more of his attempts were just wide open shots because they moved the ball in the perimeter, got down to the post, collapsed the defense, and knew where the shooter was, kicked it out. And it was five, six, seven passes and an open three. And it's like, wow, basketball can be so easy sometimes. And that's just how they played, you know, all summer league. And that was my my one huge takeaway was the ball movement was very crisp, extra passes, getting to the open guy, but it wasn't over necessary. Like if Nesmith had an open three, he would take it. He wouldn't pass it up to a contested guy with three seconds in the shot clock and just an overpass and kill a possession. It was, you got the open shot, you took it, and it took you four or six passes to get there. And I thought that was great. What I liked as well was the variation in the way they were generating them passes. You know, there was penetration, there was guys probing towards the free throw line extended and then kicking it back out. There was other guys dribble drive penetrating and then getting hitting wraparound passes to a rolling big man. There was just so much variation about the way the Celtics look to make those passes. So the passes are great, but the way you're getting those passes are just as important because you can rack up six passes in a possession and all you've done is swing it from side to side and everybody's took a touch. And that, to me, is useless passing numbers. The passing numbers you're talking about are very much um, conducive to winning. They're forcing rotations, they're forcing defensive collapses, and then the open man is finding the ball. And this, Brad Stevens used to say that when you play the right way, the ball will find you at the right time and then your shot will fall. And the Celtics have really embodied that over the last two weeks. Now we need to see if the actual roster can do that. I mean, there's a bunch more talent on there. One guy that won't be on there, and this is what we call a segue, one guy that won't be on there is Evan Fournier. I mean, Evan Fournier yesterday was announced in a sign-in trade. We knew Fournier was going anyway, but the sign-in trade is what was the shocking part of this. Goes to the Knicks. Along with two future first, no, two future seconds, sorry, and the Knicks send back some cash considerations and give the Celtics a $17 million TPU. My initial take on this, Cody, the Celtics gave up four future second round picks to rent Fournier for a few months and see how it went, and then hit the reset button on a large portion of that Gordon Hayward TPE timer, because that, that TPE would have just expired. Now they've reset that time clock and they get another year to use that same $17 million. So four, four future seconds to see how Fournier does, try and get yourself over the top, ready for the playoffs, and then get that same money back again. Like, I feel like that's a, that's a huge win, especially because of being able to reset that 17 million TPE. Oh, it's fantastic. And second-round picks aren't as valuable to this team where you have already 13 players on your roster locked up every offseason as of the 
right now. So what is the second pick round pick really going to do? The last two second round picks we had are playing overseas. So that's obviously, you know, where we're using those. But it's an interesting thing because that 17 million is huge. Now you can add another serviceable player to your team. And it brings up with this and the Marcus Smart extension um, the other day, Marcus Smart. Love, you know, love Marcus Smart, my favorite player in the NBA and has been for a while. It begs the question, I don't know, Bradley Beal obviously is on everyone's mind and has been for the past basically year and a half. But with this TPE and Marcus Smart's extension and you already have Jalen and Jason locked up, um, you have Rob Williams on the horizon getting a deal. With that TPE and... On Twitter, here are some of the dudes. I, I, there was a tweet that I saw, and some people that can fit into this TPE, hypothetically. I don't know exactly how all the money works, but Ricky Rubio, Marcus Morris, Deont- DeJounte Murray, Will Barton, Jonas Valanciunas, Thaddeus Young, Christian Wood, Terrence Ross, Pat Bev, Joe Ingles, Marvin Bagley, Kyle Kuzma. Like those On that list, there are three or four players that are like, that it could be really intriguing here in Boston. And if you have the $17 million TPE, you already have your two stars. You have Marcus Smart and potentially Rob Williams now. Bradley Beal might not be the focus for the Celtics. And I think that's okay. I think that's completely fine. Obviously, over the past 10 to 15 years, three guys wins a championship. And that's kind of been the formula for a while. But other than really... The Nets, I mean, two years ago, it was all duos, and everyone loved how the league was all duos, and you had Anthony Davis, LeBron, Kawhi, and um, Paul George, and uh, James Harden and Russell Westbrook for that year, and Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. It was all, everyone had two, everyone had two, and the Celtics, they had an up-and-coming two, and now they're a legitimate two in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And other teams, they can't get the Caspies to get a three. So you have the Nets, you have the Lakers, but what other team has a three? There's not many. Uh, I don't think there's another team with a, a serviceable, huge, big three. Probably so the have, Warriors this year once Clay's back. That's true. That's true. Um, but also, okay, so you have Steph and Clay and Draymond. So that's three teams right there. But you might not need the three. Call me crazy. You might not need the three. If you can get a if you can get a, say a DeJounte Murray, which is kind of redundant now that I say it out loud if you locked up smart. But you can get somebody with that 17 million. Maybe not, you know, obviously you have a full year to use it. But you can get a really serviceable stack your team with like super good, like seven, eight deep, really good rotational guys. Some you have eight guys who could potentially start somewhere else. I think that's a really good formula. And I'm completely down with that. My only issue is, like, if you want to win the NBA championship with two guys, then realistically, both of those guys need to be bordering along the lines of top seven guys in the NBA. Fair. Right? Like, the Lakers did it with LeBron, that is arguably the second greatest player of all time, and in my opinion, will be the second greatest player of all time, and a top seven guy. And then Anthony Davis is a top seven guy. Now, if you have that duo, then you can feel very confident about your chances of making it to the finals and then see what happens from there. Um, You look at, see, Milwaukee did it this year with Giannis, and then they didn't really have another top seven guy. They had Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. Now, where you want to place Chris Middleton in your NBA rankings is completely up to you, but they did have one of the most athletically gifted guys in the entire league 
and some real good shooting and defense around him. And I think that Brad Stevens has looked at what Milwaukee have done and said, right, well, we have one of the best scorers in, well, definitely one of the best young scorers in the entire league in Jason Tatum. We've got a two-way wing in Jalen Brown. Now we need serviceable guys around them. Does Brad Stevens see Marcus Smart as Boston's Drew Holiday? Somebody that can get hot from free, can D up guys, can play make a little bit, but it can't be relied upon to be that guy every single night because that's how I look at Drew Holiday. Yeah. He, he's, you know, so maybe Brad's looking at Milwaukee and trying to figure out that template, but that means you're banking on another year of internal growth off of both Jalen and Jason. So this $17 million TPE to me means if someone like Richardson isn't working out this season, if someone like Schroeder rebuilds some value and you can flip him for a different piece, well, now you can go and use that $17 million TPE to replace whatever you're flipping and it just gives you so much flexibility. And that is the buzzword of the summer. And I'm personally, I believe that there is a road to Bradley Bill. It's far much more difficult now Smart has been locked up. Uh, but I don't think that that road is going to be the one that gets traveled. And I do think that other teams like the Warriors, if it was a mid-season trade that ended up moving Bill instead of next season, if Bill decides he just wants out, the Warriors can come in and blow anything the Celtics offer away anyway. Right. You know, because Boston aren't going to want to put up Jalen Brown. The Warriors can walk in and say, here's Jonathan Kaminga, Mo, um, Moody, Wiseman, and then Wiggins and Picks. Boston yeah. can't do that. So I think that you're, the way you're kind of looking at things is exactly the way I've kind of accepted things are going to play out, at least within the short to midterm. Yeah, and obviously there are going to be people that don't like that, and there are people that think that's a waste, but I just don't think it's a waste. And I like Bradley Beal, and I would 100% be fine if we got Bradley Beal if it didn't come at the expense of either Jalen or Jason, which obviously those two are pretty much off the board, especially Jason, um, at, at this point. Uh, and, it's again, it's just that's just the nature of the beast. But you have this – I think people are, aren't – understand like this roster is way better already than it was last year i mean we had what seven dudes who were actually like nba players last year like seven guys who actually played like nba players now you have neesmith who played really really well down the stretch and had a good summer league i wouldn't be surprised and honestly it might make more sense and this is maybe my hot take by the end of the season i could see neesmith being the starting three just to be there for defense and spot up shooting, and then you can have you know a guy like Schroeder and Richardson who do a little bit better with the ball in their hands, kind of stagger minutes off the bench. Um, I could really see that be a possibility. I think that Neesmith is that good, especially from from three point shooting, which is the most valuable skill in the league, arguably. Um, off ball scoring and three point shooting—that's two of the top three to four skills to have in the NBA and I think Neesmith can improve on that and I think my hot take would be at the end of the year you could see him being plugged in the starting lineups um, just to stagger up the scoring production uh, and and have the team run a little more smoothly Um, you know Pritchard I'm not you know I'm gonna say Pritchard's gonna be a 92 point per game guy but I think he could be a serviceable backup and he was that last year at, at times and I think with another year and he's what 22 23 now I think he'll be fine. Romeo, like you said, he's a theory. He's an enigma of everyone's imagination. Um, but he's what we've seen from him have been really good, especially on the defensive end. And that plays. And now you have Richardson. You have Schroeder. 
you have Al, who I think is was every he got a bad rap in Philly, which I think was more of the fit than the, his actual play. I mean, people forget last year they told Al Horford to go home because he was winning the Thunder too many games. Like they were like, just stop playing. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, just just stop playing. Like we want to lose. You're winning too much. And in a limited role, you can really maximize potential. No one can maximize the potential like Brad does. And I think there's a blueprint, and Ime can follow that blueprint to make Al a very serviceable player again. So you have legitimately like 11, 12 guys, or 10 to 11 guys, who you can trust to be on the court at all times. And that's something we did not have last year, maybe not even the year before that. And do you know what's more important? What's more important? We know that when they're going to play. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, I completely agree. I think the depth of the roster is great. Uh, I think Brad Stevens has done a fantastic job. They're a lot more defensively sound. There's more length on the team now, more size. I feel like the defense is going to be an absolute nightmare. They're going to be pesky as hell. Um, point of attack defense, being able to switch. You're going to have stoppers. You're going to have rim protectors. The team has everything now. They have rim runners, five-out offensive guys, interior guys. There's so much more depth and variation in what the Celtics can do this season compared to last, and arguably the year before that as well, that you ha- you can't be anything other than high on this Celtics roster. And then kind of segueing over, now we know when they start playing, which is on my birthday, again, October 20th, against the New York Knicks. And I think the Knicks are going to be a team we hear a lot about this year. I feel Boston and the Knicks are going to be kind of like thrown into a bunch of narratives due to the Kemba Walker being there, due to Fournier being there. Obviously, the Knicks finished very close. To, was it one position, one point, one spot lower or one spot higher than the Celtics this year, if I remember? In the... In the East. I might be completely wrong there, to oh, be they fair. They were the four seed. Were they not? They were the four seed. We were the... Yeah, so it was higher. Yeah, it was considerably higher. higher. Sorry, I got my, uh, my brain kind of just stopped working there. Okay. Um, but no, it happens, man. Sometimes I just completely, I, I remember things differently they happened. No, but seriously, jokes aside, I think that we're going to hear a lot of comparisons between the Celtics and the Knicks this year. So yeah. starting the year off against them and seeing two guys that have just left this roster and moved over to New York, I'm super excited to see how that game plays out and how that mini-series throughout the regular season goes. Yeah, the Knicks are good again. And do I think they kind of outplayed how good they actually were last year? Yeah, I do. And do I think a little drop-off? Yeah, I do. But they added, you know, in Kemba. And if he's healthy, and again, just like we said, Romeo didn't really have a whole a whole offseason the last two years. Kemba didn't really have much of an offseason last year after he hurt his knee. And it, it's an unfortunate situation. It is what it is. I'm glad they moved on from him. Um, but I think he can be a little bit better this year if he actually like had time to rehab the knee and hopefully the knee isn't like so bad where he just won't be able to play again on a very consistent level. Um, they added Fournier, who I really wanted the Celtics to keep Fournier, but getting $17 million from him is, helps as well. Um, and I think they're going to be good. I think it's going to be battles. I think you know, Thibodeau is one of those old-school guys. Obviously, he knows how much Celtics – first Knicks means to, you know, the NBA history and the culture. And right now I think you can see him throwing out, you know, the kitchen sink at the Celtics when they meet. And Ime is a first-year coach. I think you're going to see that from everybody. He wants to prove that they made the right decision hiring him as the next, you know, as the 18th head coach in Celtics history. And he's going to, you know, bring out his bag of tricks against everybody, especially, you know, teams like the Knicks and the Sixers and the Lakers and, 
these storied rivals for the Celtics. So I'm excited. And October 20th, happy birthday then, by the way, um, it, it can't come soon enough. I, you know, it's basketball's fun. I think everyone who's listening to the show at least likes basketball a little bit. So why we have to celebrate the you know the year and the best part about it it's like a regular year and we're gonna have a a more streamlined regular year after two years that were weird and that started late and finished late and were bunched up and I think it's going to be a more enjoyable season just because presumably um, everyone is either vaccinated or has their protocols and they know what they're doing now and nothing's new and. Everyone had time to actually rest up and and, and get right and, and mentally and physically. And we're going to have a regular season where you're not playing seven games in eight nights. And you're not jumping from city to city to city to city in two-week periods. And you're going to have, you know, days off. And it's going to be a regular season. And I'm very excited about that. Yeah, and I mean, you hit the nail on the head, dude. This year is going to be the first year in a while that... Hopefully, fingers crossed, it goes smoothly and normally. There's not going to be a big gap in the middle. There's not going to be a um, a bubble. There's not going to be back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back games where people are basically playing with a leg half off. And it's, it's going to be a lot more interesting. We're going to see guys actually well-rested. Injuries aren't going to play as huge a part. And hopefully the Celtics can figure it out. I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see how Udoka has them playing and his management style and the way he wants them to play. But um, that pretty much sums up everything I wanted to hit. I'm my, Mr. Cody, my guy. So before we bounce, do you want to let everybody know where they can find you? Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm on Twitter at CodyShallowThu33. Um, I tweeted about corn a lot the other day, so you never know what you're going to find uh, on top of basketball and other sports takes on my uh, on my Twitter. Also, I have a podcast. Uh, you can follow that at on Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcasts at the Hustle Sports Debate Show, and it's Hustle Sports Pod on Twitter. We just uploaded a, yes, an episode yesterday, and maybe, Adam, you can join us one, one day and we can debate some stuff. Maybe one of these days we have to set that up. I'm always down to jump on a pod and debate and do whatever, man. You know, you can just reach out anytime. Of course. Well, right, thank you for having me oh, on. Appreciate it. Of course, man. You, you can come on whenever you want to, dude. Just hit me up and you're always welcome. Everybody that's been listening, please make sure you leave that five-star written review. As usual, if it's an Apple device, just scroll down on this podcast. It'll say leave a review, write something nice, hit that five-star. Helps me out a bunch, helps out the show a bunch. It helps us rank on all the podcast platforms and yada, 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 yada. If you're not using an Apple device while here where well, things get a little bit more difficult, please use word of mouth. So tell your friends, your Uber driver, people at the water cooler, people in the pizzeria, wherever you may be, if you see them wearing some form of Celtics gear, be like, hey, this is the podcast for you. And that would also help us out a bunch because obviously more people listening, more reviews we get, and it's just all an exponential circle. I will be back on Friday with Mr. Will Weir as normal. Between now and then, I have no idea what's going to happen because Brad Stevens seems to like to move in silence. As Biggie Smalls once said, bad boys move in silence and violence. Brad Stevens' version of violence is creating TPEs left, right, and center. Thank you very much, and we will catch you on Friday, Cody. It's always a pleasure, man. Of course. Ain't disrespecting you, hate. Is I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the fame. 
honest, just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down, one play at a time, keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major, still he chased greatness, expected that he might fail, and I might too. I might never get to pop champagne, celebrating with the crew. This ain't everything I am, it's something that I do.